On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and there a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house that the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. His disciples left and went into the city and found things just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Amen, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them. They all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for many. It's 1996, and a group of 20 climbs the steps to a second-floor room. The tour guide explains that <clears throat> that, that room is called the Senecal, uh, a Latin word that means dining room. This particular dining room has been important to Christians on pilgrimages to Jerusalem for maybe 1,600 years or so because it's said that it's in that room where Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Last Supper. But this room that is on every Holy Land uh, Bible tour uh, can hardly be the same room where Jesus once said to his disciples, take and eat, take and drink. Although the foundations of the, of the room probably go back to the third century or so, um, it's a massive room that you visit today uh, with Gothic arches in it. It's the kind of arches we have here in our church. This is not the architecture of Jesus' day. Archaeologists, historians tend to agree that, that that room was probably built by the Crusaders maybe around 1200 A.D. or so. That 1996 group of 20, including a number of us here from Grace, still enjoyed the visit, and, and we tried to picture the Last Supper, uh, that last Passover celebration, uh, somewhere in Jerusalem anyway. For Christians like us who gather for worship on a Maundy Thursday, there is a strong interest, uh, not in the room itself, but what happened in that room. That's what's on our minds as we gather this evening Mark's gospel is our guide as we see the details of how Jesus' final steps led to the upper room. A room planned and prepared for Passover, a room where the Lamb of God prepared to die. When you and I go back in time to the upper room, we go there to hear Jesus' gracious invitation, take it, this is my body, this is my blood of the New Testament which is poured out for many. We want to hear again, how Jesus gave this visible gospel as a tangible gift, something that we can uh, see and smell and taste and touch. And on this Holy Thursday, when, when we approach the front of the church here near the, the communion table, there is a weight as heavy as hell itself lifted from our shoulders by the promise of our Savior, 
a promise that's made by Jesus' servant distributing the Lamb's Supper as he, he walks by us one by one with speaking words that are guaranteed to be true because of, the, of Jesus' own blood shed on the cross for us. The words that, that we share with you for the forgiveness of your sins. The Lord's visible gospel is proclaimed um, throughout this service tonight as we center, as it centers on the supper, uh, on preparing for it uh, with our heartfelt confession of sins, uh, as we hear readings that, that teach us about the supper, as we receive the supper, and, and then by that uh, are restored to live a new and holy life for the Lamb of God who gave his life for us all. Just as the items for this Holy Supper were carefully uh, prepared and placed on the table in anticipation of the meal here this evening, the Passover meal also took time and care to prepare. The Supper of our Lord was, was carefully rooted in Old Testament Passover, and the Passover meal took hours of careful preparation. At the time of Moses, God's people prepared to head out on that path that that led from Egypt and toward the land that God had promised to them. And at that time, the Lord gave them particular instructions about how they were to eat the last supper they would have there in Egypt. Those instructions then were passed down from generation to generation as they celebrated the Passover each year. The items for the table needed to be purchased, they needed to be prepared, just as the Lord directed. So on the table, you would have found... Uh, bitter herbs, and bread without yeast, and wine, and, and of course an unblemished year-old lamb. The story of God, uh, how God led his people out of Egypt then was, was shared throughout the meal. Even the rooms were to be meticulously prepared. Uh, ceremonial sweeping was done of the house where the celebration was going to be held. I wanted to make sure that every last bit of yeast was, was taken from every nook and cranny of that home. The absence of the yeast in the rooms and, and in the bread would then remind them of that quick escape that God's people made from Egypt. So, when Jesus told two of his disciples to go into Jerusalem, uh, go into the city and find an owner who would show them a large upper room furnished and ready, the disciples must have been maybe a bit relieved and happy to know that uh, some of the preparation had been done. But probably not all of it was done. They for sure needed a lamb. And there wasn't a Costco that you could go to, to the back, to the meat section, and find a pre-roasted lamb to go. There was no reheating yesterday's lamb in the microwave either. No, you had to find the sacri you had to go and purchase the sacrificial lamb, maybe at an inflated price because it had to pass the inspection of the priests at the temple. And then it had to be sacrificed there at the temple and then taken home, prepared and roasted for the evening meal. So there was much to be done in, in just the right way. And this all took time and effort. There was one other big thing, finding a room for the celebration. The historian Josephus wrote that the population of Jerusalem swelled to about two million people at the time of the Passover, and everybody was looking for a room. A room big enough for Jesus and all of his disciples? Maybe hard to come by. One that was uh, prepared, furnished, and ready? 
likely hard to find also. But not for the lamb. Not for the lamb who later reclined with his disciples around the table. Not for the lamb who had said that that he eagerly desired to eat the Passover with them before his suffering and death. Not for the lamb who knew how vital the upper room was in God's plan to save us and to bless us. So God's lamb sent Peter and John into Jerusalem with directions that were fail-safe. But they might seem a little bewildering and vague to you and me. Go into the city, and there a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. But the Son of God could see this one man among the millions gathered there in the city for Passover. And then he told his disciples, wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house that the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. It was no accident that Jesus' final steps led to the upper room. Careful preparation was required to make that evening celebration happen. Preparations that that required the divine guidance of God's Lamb. Jesus walked up the stairs and he stepped into that room because an eternity of planning by our Lord went into securing it. But it's like there was a dark cloud hanging over the table as Jesus reclined there with his disciples. He broke from the the centuries-old Passover celebration script several times as the meal went along, saying some shocking things, like when he paused and warned them, Amen, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Then there were his references to his slaughter as the Lamb of God in the supper itself. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for many. In his stern warning to his disciples, all of you will fall away because of me. And then in his anguished warning to Peter, Amen, I tell you, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Jesus shared these words and and others there in the upper room, that secluded spot where he was preparing to die. A safe place, hidden away from the crowds, unknown to his enemies, a place where he could enjoy a a final few hours with his friends before he went to his cross, a place where he could prepare to die and prepare his friends for what his death would mean, a place where he could quietly give them a most precious gift as they celebrated the Passover. He knew all, all of this ahead of time, of course. That was clear in the instructions that he gave to his disciples leading them to a man who was fetching water, who in turn would lead them to an owner of a house who who had to hear nothing more than the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And so there it was, an upper room, furnished and ready, the perfect place for the Lamb of God to prepare to die. He went there because the time had come. The time had come for all of his final steps which had been laid out 
from eternity. They took him first to the upper room and, and then to the garden, to the betrayer's kiss, to the trials, to the scourging, to the stone pavement on trial before Pontius Pilate, to the center cross on Golgotha, where he laid down his life for the sins of, of humanity, just as he had planned. And yet you realize, don't you, that, that as he was in that room, establishing his special meal with his uh, approaching death in his sights, he wasn't just thinking of what he had to endure. He wasn't merely thinking uh, of the twelve And he was not simply thinking of the the sinful mass of humanity that needed him to die. He was thinking of you. He saw you. Sinful you. Lost you. The same Savior who could peer into a city of two million people gathered for Passover and pick out a man carrying a water jug, and an owner who would open up his home after merely hearing, the teacher says, where is my guest room, is the one who looked centuries forward and saw you. He would pay for your sins too, including those sins that that look an awful lot like the sins of those men gathered around the table with Jesus the betrayal of Jesus by sinning when we know better, the denial of Jesus by making choices that serve only ourselves, our lack of understanding of Jesus' words. That collection of men around that table is very much like the group of us gathered around this one. But the supper that he gave to his disciples there in that upper room is yours too. He offers that covenant meal to you and to me again and again, like tonight. And here we find forgiveness. The forgiveness that he won for us by leaving that room and going to his cross. The forgiveness that that we are assured of because he not only defeated sin and death, he also not, not only defeated sin with his life and death, but he also defeated death with his resurrection from the grave. The Holy Supper that we celebrate tonight has its roots there in the upper room, that place that was made special because God's Lamb went there and prepared to die. As you think about that, think about how nothing in his passion surprised Jesus. He saw it all coming. It's clear when we hear him say to his disciples, go into the city and there a man carrying a jar of water He knew it all ahead of time. He was preparing. Some of his last steps led him to that upper room to give to us what we celebrate here at this table. All of it according to his plan. All of it done in love. All of it for you. Amen. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.